All right, everybody. Welcome to New Life today. I'm glad you guys are here. Yes. Man, I'm excited to be here. I know that I am, so I hope that you are. And if you're not, all right, if you're not, just at least convince your face that you're excited to be here, all right? If nothing else, right. If nothing else, just plaster a smile on your face and, you know, greet one another and, um, you know, just have a good time today. So I, I love coming here. I've told you guys this many times, and I just, I'm going to say it again because I want you to know I mean it. I love serving at this church. You, the church, are a great bunch of people. As a pastor, it's an honor to serve here. So uh, thank you for being who you are. Yeah, you're cheering for one another, so you might as well. Yes, man, why not? Why not? Uh, my name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors on staff here, and it's a joy to, uh, to be here with you guys today. Um, listen, if you're a guest with us, I do want to take just a quick moment just to let you know you had an opportunity to worship at a bunch of different churches today, and you've walked through these doors. Um, my, my attempt today is, is uh, not to try to woo and wow you by lights and video and a show and some kind of <clears throat> smooth talk. My hope today for you, as it is for everyone that's here, if you call this church your home church, is that today you would meet with God. Um, if you encounter God today, your life will be transformed. If you just encounter church, you'll walk away with a really stale taste in your mouth. I want you to encounter God today. And that goes for every single one of us in this place. So no matter what went through your, your week, no matter what's been going on this morning, inside of your heart you have a choice to make today. And the choice that I want you to consider is this. I want you to choose to have an expectant heart. A heart that's expecting the fact that God's going to meet with you here. How would he do that? There's a lot of different ways. God could meet with you today right through his word. He could reach through his word, grab into your heart, and show you something about yourself you've never seen before. God could reach into your life today through someone else that's in this auditorium, literally coming up to you with a conversation and in a conversation or in prayer with you. God can reach into your heart today as our worship team comes back in just a little while and we begin to sing and we just begin to experience the presence of God. God can reach into your life. He can grab a hold of you and he can open up your eyes and to help you see who you are with him better than maybe you ever have before. God can do things way beyond any of the plans that man's created for today's service. God can meet with you today. You don't have to have a pastor preach. You don't have to have you know, someone, you know, pray for you. God is meeting with you right where you're at. So have an expectant heart going, okay, God, what is it that you want to say? I don't want to be left out. Is that your heart today? Like, man, if God's here in this place, I don't want to be left out, right? Are you with me? All right. Well, with that said, that makes a great segue. Have you ever felt left out though? Have, nah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to feel left out. It's never good when you feel left out, such as getting picked last out on the, um, the playground field when you were a kid getting ready to play kickball. You didn't want to get picked last, did you? And if you were, you know the pain of that right now, and I apologize for bringing it back up, all right? But yes, no, one's, no one stands there going, man, I hope I'm the last one that gets picked, all right? Now, you know, another way that you kind of felt maybe left out, this is going back to your younger days, okay? But when you, got, uh, when you went out for a sports team and you got cut, you didn't make it. That happened in my family. With one of my children, they went out for a sport, they, they didn't make it, and they got cut. And as a father, it, it took all the restraint within me to rush into that coach's office and to grab them by the shirt collar and to convince them how bad they made a mistake. I wanted to do that, you know, but I couldn't do it. 
And I watched, you know, the effects of feeling left out and what that did, you know, to one of my children. That's not a great day. Or, you know, getting turned down for your dream job. You filled out the resume. You went for the interview. You know, you did everything that you knew that you could do. You looked them in the eye. They looked you in the eye. And you know that classic statement that manager or that HR person says, oh, man, I think you're perfect for this job. You walk away. You're, your head's in the clouds. But then you never get the call back. You know, and you're like, oh, that was my dream job. I had this one. You could really feel left out. Well, well, let's switch the tone just for a moment. All right, you're on Facebook last night, and all of a sudden you realize all of my friends, my close group of friends, they all went to the movies together. They didn't even call me. That's a bummer, isn't it? When you're on Facebook, and it's at that moment, because you don't have the restraint of being face-to-face, that you say all the things you wish you couldn't, you, you, you shouldn't have said, and you can't bring them back because once you hit send, it's, whoo, it's out there. And now all your friends know you're angry at them because you felt left out. It also happens in business. You walk by the conference room. You look through the glass window. You see the large conference table, and you see four of the guys you work with or the ladies that you work with all huddled around the table, you know, really energetic and laughing and having a good time working on some kind of new thing for the business. The people you work with, they're on your team but you weren't included to the meeting. You walk back to your office and you sit down and how do you feel when you just feel like you were left out of something really important? Last but not least, and this is not to make any single people feel uncomfortable, but what about... (laughs) What about single folks and you go out on Friday night with all of your married friends, feel a little left out, all right? There's nothing good about feeling left out. And there's a lot of Christians that are Christ followers. They're Christ-centered and you feel left out. And you feel left out because you don't feel like you have a testimony. You hear people over and over in your life groups, as you meet with them on the streets, as you hear them on pulpits like this, as you watch other preachers, you listen to them via podcast or they live stream or their archive sermons. You hear, as missionaries come through, you hear all these amazing stories of how God's captured people out of the darkness of their life and He's brought them into a relationship with Him. And you say to yourself, I don't have a testimony. I don't have a story. You know, I feel left out because I don't feel like I've ever drifted away from God and needed to be brought back to Him. I feel like I'm the one that's just stayed. I've stayed focused on God. I've stayed loving God. I've stayed committed to God. I've just been there because I don't have a story of drugs and alcohol, sex, whatever it is. Because I don't have one of those, I feel left out. Some of you, you feel left out because maybe you've heard stories of the miraculous and God moving on people's lives and people being healed or, you know, God showing up in their finances some way and you just you feel like, man, God, you, if you left me out of your equation, I pray, but I don't get anything. I, I pray, but I don't hear you. I pray, but I don't see you. I feel left out. There's a lot of results that can come from that, and none of them are positive. I mean, first off, you can feel a sense of resentment. A resentment towards who? A resentment towards others. They're blessed. A resentment towards someone that maybe has this testimony of coming out of the darkness into the light. You can resent them for even the, the good news of what God's done in their lives. And ultimately, you can resent God. That's not where you want to be. That's a problem. You know, if you feel like you're left out, you you can also lose confidence. You lose confidence in who? You lose confidence in yourself. Like, I don't have a testimony. What could I say? Or I haven't experienced God. Maybe I don't even know God. Or God, are you even out there? You can lose confidence. 
you can feel inferior. Like, I'm just not as good as those guys. I'll never amount to that. I can never make an impact like those guys can. I'm just down here and I'm meant to be down there. And you can feel inferior. That's a problem. That's defeating. That's not the kind of Christianity anybody wants to be attracted to. That's what happens. That's what happens when you feel left out spiritually. Or you feel like you gave it your best, but yet God's got his attention on somebody else. You get angry. In the end, you might even get reclusive. You become that person that you walk through the doors of the church because you know it's the right thing to do. But you're so reclusive that when the church service is over, you just drift out the back. And you haven't built relationship with anyone. You don't go to a life group. You're, you're, not, you're not seeking after any of our support groups. You know, you're, you're barely a name that even shows up on our wall to even you know, pull off a name tag. You go reclusive when you, don't, when you feel like you've been left out. That's a bad place to be. In this journey of this Luke 15, looking at the prodigal-friendly church, that's where the older brother is at. This older brother spirit we're going to talk about today is a man that Jesus dealt with. He talked about um, in a story when he was answering a question to some Pharisees, these people that thought they had God all figured out, and they said, Jesus, if you're so godly, why is it that you hang out with notorious sinners? Why is it that you hang out with people that you know don't love God, why? and then, you know, why do you even eat with them? And Jesus went on to explain. He said, well, listen, if a shepherd was watching over all of his sheep and then one of the sheep drifted away and he went off to do his own thing, wouldn't the shepherd go after the one lost one? Well, yes, he would. Yeah, sure. Well, why? Because the, the sheep have maybe three or four shepherds, and so one of them can go out after the one. They don't just leave the 99 there, but one of them could. Okay, well, I, I can understand that. Yeah, but, and then he goes on, and he says, but there's a woman as well, and this woman... You know, he's got like about 10 days worth of wages and she loses a day's worth of wages. Wouldn't she search the entire house if she lost it in the house to try to find it? Well, oh yeah, well, I, yeah, sure, I could see that. I mean, yeah, duh. I mean, come on, Jesus. And then every one of those is just a setup for the last story, which the last story is, okay, but there's a dad and he has two sons. And the younger son asks his dad, dad, I want my inheritance now before you die. Can I get that right now? Is that possible? And the dad gives it to him and the younger son takes off to a foreign land, and he wastes all of his money, you know, living foolishly, doing all the things that he knows his dad would be against. And he lives that way all the way until the Bible says he comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, he realizes, maybe I should go back and be a servant for my dad, not a son. And he comes home. And when the dad sees him, the dad wraps his arms around him, hugs him, embraces him, brings him back into the family, and establishes him back as a son, not a servant. Then the older brother, who had been out to work, who had been out in the fields, comes walking back. And as he's walking back, he sees some commotion. He sees people coming, you know, from down the street and from around, around the fields. And they're, they're coming. And they're coming into this place where a lot of smoke is billowing up because the father has decided that this fatted calf, this cow that they had been feeding with extra grain so they could throw a party someday, this was the moment to throw the party. This was the moment. I've saved everything for this moment. Let's give it our best. And the son, he hears the noise of music he begins to see through the windows of this room where people are dancing and celebrating he smells the aroma of this fatted calf as it's being you know cooked he sees the smiles on people he hears the celebration he hears the high-fiving of one another and he comes up and one of the servants says dude man listen this is amazing you know that brother of yours that took the inheritance and he took off for this foreign land and we haven't heard from him for years and you know how he thought that maybe he was dead well he's not he's back He's back, and your dad threw a huge party for him. Isn't this awesome? And the older brother, 
you know anything about the story. He's very angry. He's just look on his face and he throws his tools to the ground. He looks at the servant and he just begins to tell him all the reasons why they shouldn't be celebrating right now. He just begins to chew his brother up one side and down the other. And he is just out there, man. He's out in the courtyard. And he's just raising his voice and he's yelling. He's going, I can't believe this. And some people are coming to the party. And he's going, get out of here. This isn't a reason to celebrate. Go back to your house. This is ridiculous. Someone's lost their mind. And the word gets into the house to the father. And the father hears that his son is out there and he's irate. So the father comes out to console the son. And to help the son to understand what's really going on here. And he gets out there and the son is just, he's boiling his His face has turned red like smoke is coming out of his ears. He can't hardly think straight. He begins to just rail on his dad and rail on the son. And he says all kinds of foolish things, one after another. When he gets done, the father calmly and coolly and collectly starts trying to help the son understand, why do we need to celebrate when my son, who I thought was dead and gone and lost, why do we need to celebrate when he comes home. See, our lives are a constant battle. A constant battle of trying to avoid the heart of this older brother. When we don't understand things, when we think life's unfair, when we think that God's blessing someone else and he's missed out on us, when we think that, you know, I've prayed just as much as them, I've invested just as much as them, I give, I give more tithe than that person, why are they being blessed and I'm not? You know, when people walk through the doors that you know from our community and you know their story, you know the filth of their life, and they walk through the doors and instantaneously in your mind, you have to fight against that, oh my word, what are they doing here? This is just a joke. This is just, I can't believe that. They're, they can't be serious. What are they really here for? What's their real motive? See, our entire lives as, as followers of Christ are to try to defeat that. Why? Because it's one of the enemy's number one tools to try to kill and steal and destroy the light right out of the church. If he can get inside of your heart and put that older brother spirit in your heart that doesn't want to celebrate with the things that God celebrates about, then he has the ability to taint one facility, one group of people at church, and that church, now it just exists for themselves. And over time, if we exist for ourselves, we all grow old and we die, and moths fill this place. So there's obviously a different plan. And that different plan means that we have to avoid the older brother's heart. Well, to avoid the older brother's heart, Jesus teaches us some stuff in this parable that I want to highlight for you. The first thing that Jesus teaches us is this. He says, I want you to have loving service. Loving service. Basically, it's not this. It's not Jesus going, what I want you to do is come to church and love the service. That's not what he meant. Although, I want you to come to church and love the service. But that's not what he meant by loving service. Loving service is you're giving to God, you are serving God out of an attitude of relationship with God, not out of a duty, not out of this sense of, you know, responsibility, but you're loving God out of this sense of I'm a servant and I'm wanting to give to you, God. I'm just wanting to give. I, I, I don't expect anything in return. I'm just here to serve you. Loving service. See, now the older brother he didn't understand just loving service. That, had, that, wasn't even in his, that didn't even calculate inside of his mind. Let me help you understand that where, where he was at is the place that you definitely want to avoid. Take a look at verse 29. It says this. 
that the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. Told you that a minute ago. His father came out and he begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Notice the heart that is totally anti this loving service. This, this, I'm a servant of yours, Dad. I'm here to follow you. I'm here to be obedient to you. Look at the very first thing that he says. He says, I slaved for you and, you, and, you, and I never once refused. I slaved for you and I never once refused. Meaning, every time you asked me to do something, I did it. No matter what it was. Go to the far field, I went there. Go take care of the cattle, I did it. Go do the dirty job, I did it. I never once refused you. I basically have been perfect. <laughs> That's impossible. Nobody's perfect. This is an exaggeration. Because look what he does. He doesn't just stop there. If he stopped there, maybe I could look at him differently. But he says a couple of other things. He goes, you never gave me. You never gave me even one young goat, but yet you kill the fatted calf for, for my younger brother who was living foolish. You never gave me. So I've never refused you, and you never gave me. If you're a parent of teenagers, or you ever have been a parent of teenagers, does this sound remotely interesting to you that possibly you've heard a story like this before? You never give me, and you never do this, and you never do that. And if you're a mom or a dad of a younger kid, this is what you get to look forward to. It's an exaggeration. It's that you always overlook me. You overlook me when I'm the one that's doing I've been here every Sunday for the last 20 years. Haven't you noticed that? And then this joker walks through the door, so if he's living at the bar for the last 20 years, and he's going to give his life to Christ, and then if you come back today, I go to heaven and he gets to go? This is ridiculous. What kind of economy are you running anyways? Aren't those the thoughts? They're the thoughts that roll through your mind. How could it be that someone lays on their deathbed and they give their life to Christ, but yet I served you for 40 years and we both get to spend eternity with you? You let that older brother heart creep in and you'll keep all of God's grace for yourself. You know what this, these two statements show? These two statements show that maybe he had a relationship with God and he was really serving him out of duty. You have the ability to show an external picture of obedience to God, but really you're just doing it for all the wrong reasons. That's a dangerous place to live. If you think you're being obedient to God for the right reasons, but you're justifying them with these kind of actions and attitude, you're going to end up like this older brother someday, and you're going to look in the mirror and go, that's not the man or woman I ever wanted to be. How do you avoid that? You have to have the heart of loving service, meaning that God is my king. I'm under his authority. What he says goes, not what my opinion is. What he says goes. And I'm going to love him and I'm going to serve him because he's my authority and he's my king. And I'm going to serve him expecting nothing in return. I'm not serving to get. You Don't become one of those friends. You have, you have some friends like this. Or you've ran into them. They weren't friends very long. I call them mobster friends. A mobster friend versus a servant friend. You know the mobster friend? They're the ones that come over when you need help really bad. And after they, after they help you, you get this icky feeling on the inside like, uh-oh, now I owe them. And they come back and they want their dues. 
versus the servant friend who just gives and expects nothing in return. Back in Omaha, I was reaching out to a guy, and he was young. He was about five years younger than me, single still, had lived a very, very rough life. He had nothing. I mean, he, he, barely, he barely ate. He, he just lived in the worst part of town you could live in, and he had no one that loved or cared about him. No one came around. He had some other ailments, and so as a church, we just started loving this guy. God brought him through our doors, and we started embracing him. We started loving him like one of our own, reaching out to him, including him in things, inviting him to small groups, picking him up, taking him to the store, helping him to get things, helping him just love this guy, right? A couple years of this goes by, and we build a pretty decent relationship, and then he knows it's my birthday coming up on January 7th, which, by the way, that was the way to write that down, okay? Um, so January 7th was coming up, and um, he knew that it was my birthday, and he goes, he calls me up one day, and he goes, Jeff, Jeff, your birthday's coming up next week. And I go, wow, man, wow, that was really nice of you. Thanks for even recognizing. I, I want to take you out to lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, you want to take me out to lunch? Man, you hardly got anything. I want to be careful. Like, what do I say here? Do I, do I go low? Does that offend him? Maybe I go high. That offends him. I'm not getting caught in this trap. See, Jesus didn't get caught in traps, right? So what did Jesus do? He always turns the question back around. So I try to play a little Jesus with the guy, and I said, so, so, give me some options to choose from. So he throws out a couple places. I pick one of them. We go there. I get a cheeseburger, french fries, and water. He orders what he's going to, right? Spend about seven bucks on me. He has a great time. I have a great time, actually. It's nice to be appreciated. Amen? All right. There you go. So everything's good. High five each other. Drop him off at his house. Things are great till about six months later. Six months later, I get another call from the same guy. He goes, hey, Jeff, how you doing? I go, I'm doing good. He goes, guess what's happening in three days? I go, don't know. He goes, it's my birthday in three days. And I want you to take me out to lunch. Remember, I took you out to lunch. And I'm like, uh, wow, man, now the heart of him taking me to lunch, it all just, just fell apart. I mean, I went from up here to like, ugh. I go, oh, okay, man, where, where do you want to go to lunch? I'm hoping that he does the Jesus thing, right? Like, well, where do you want to take me? No, I want to go to Olive Garden. Go to Olive Garden, okay? All right, so we go to Olive Garden. Two hours later, after he orders an appetizer... Two entrees, that's true, two entrees and a dessert. I ordered toasted raviolis off the appetizer menu. With the waitress, the bill is $40. Those are mobster friends. They do one thing, but they really want something. That's your attitude towards serving God. You're going to get really bitter when you call up God and you demand your olive garden lunch and god stays silent it's not gonna be a good day what's god's solution how how does god deal with this older brother to help him understand how he needs to have this kind of loving service heart look what god says in verse 31 says the father said to his older son look dear son you have always stayed by me and everything i have is yours the two things he tries to encourage him with first he says to him this he goes you have always stayed by me you've always been there what's he really trying to say to him he's trying to say older son you're you're off you're you're off base here come back to the thing that you know in your heart is to be true that is this you didn't serve me just for what i could give you 
You were finding joy in just relationship with me at one time. You stayed with me. You were intimate to my heart. You knew the things that I loved. We once used to cherish that. You drifted from it. You come back to that place again. Come back to finding your true joy in just me, not in what you can do for me. And the same thing holds true for you today. You're going to find your greatest joy in just your relationship with God, which has nothing to do with what you can do for God. God loves you more than He loves what He can do through you. Never forget that simple little piece. You forget that simple little piece, and the older brother part heart instantly starts growing inside of you like a weed. But here's the next thing that the father says to the older son. He says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is, is yours. What, what's he basically trying to say to him? He's saying, listen, you think you're almighty and you're all powerful and you think you deserve something, but you need to realize that everything you have, I had first and I gave it to you. All the success that you have, everything that you own, everything that you possess, remember who gave it to you. Everything I have is yours. The minute that you start thinking it's your kingdom, the minute you start thinking it's your thing that you developed, that's the moment that the ground of your heart is extremely fertile for the weed of the older brother to start growing up. And it's going to squelch out every bit of life that's been created. This happens a lot in churches. It happens a lot. There's things hanging on walls out here. This plant, this plant may be one of the things that, you know, you've got in your, in your way of God. This plant may be something that you paid for. Maybe you gave, gave the church that plant. And the day that maybe I decide to take that plant and donate it to the landfill... That might be the day when all of a sudden the true older brother heart raises up inside of you. And you're like, I'm the one that put that there. I, that was my plan. I paid the money for it. I, I put it. In fact, that pew is mine. When I went to church as a kid, the, the pews had little name tags on them of the family that donated the money for that. That also said that's where they sat. So you knew you sat in the wrong place. But there's a lot of sacred cows around a church. That caused older brother spirits to rise up because they got their focus more on what they did, what they donated, and what they gave, and what they developed, and my class, and my ministry, and my this, and my that. Everything you have that's going great and going good, it all belonged to him first. He gave it to you. It goes for your business. It goes for your kids. It goes for your marriage. It goes for your finances. It's holistic. It's not just a plant. When you get that mixed up, that loving service heart starts to decay. And you start growing the weed of the older brother. And it's going to squelch out life in your heart. And it's going to keep others from finding life with Christ. Which, by the way, everything God has is His and it starts with Him. That includes grace. Let me just make this statement really quick. It's God's grace to give. It's not yours to judge. If God wants to show grace to somebody today that you look across the auditorium and you think to yourself, that person, they have no hope. God has every right to extend grace to them and you have nothing to say about it. That's God's grace to give. What God wants is he wants you to team up with him and help to extend that grace. That will destroy that older brother heart if you link up with God and you start extending grace where God's extending grace. Jesus went on to help us understand a couple of other things, though, if we wanted to avoid this older brother's heart. Um, he tells us, focus on these things, caring, being thoughtful, and understanding. 
You know, it's, it's very interesting. When you get this older brother heart and it starts manifesting itself, which sometimes it's going to happen, you, you know what you look like, right? I know what I look like when it happens to me. I, I look like a really spoiled, rotten, you know, kid who's thrown a fit. That's what I look like. Look, this is the actions of the older brother. And see if this doesn't look like the little kid that threw a fit. It says, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go into the party. I'm not going in there. No way. I'm not... I'm not going to validate his actions. He doesn't deserve it. I can't believe we're even doing this. He should come back here and prove himself. You know, put him out there on the hard jobs. Go, go ask him to do the things you always ask me to do. You know, make him go, go pick up all that stuff that those cows leave behind. Let him go roll around in those patties for a little while and see if he's okay. I mean, that's his art. I'm not going in there. This is stubborn. Look what else he says in verse 30. He says, yet... When this son of yours comes home after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the calf. When this son of yours. Notice how it's his brother, but yet he won't even admit that fact. He won't say that. When this son of yours, he's your problem. This is your issue. This is what you created. He's your son. He's not my brother. Are, Are you serious? If you are the younger brother and you, if you are the younger sister and you have an older brother, You need counseling, don't you? Because older brothers are mean. Are you serious going to stand there as the older brother and go, he's your problem? I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Oh, really? Maybe he left because of you. Did you ever think about that one? He's He's your problem. If you see someone ever walk through these doors over these next few years, you see someone that you had a problem with, that you had an argument with, that you may have been a part of the reason why they, they, they walked away or they haven't ever walked towards Christ. And you see them walk into this place and come to an altar like this and give their life to Christ? Let me tell you what God would expect. God would expect you not to sit up there and go, well, he's your problem now. God would, God's heart would expect you to get out of your seat, run to an altar like that, and embrace that person. Ask for forgiveness. Restore the relationship, whatever you have to do, and love them back into the kingdom. People are not God's problem. Oh, people are created by God. But God's put them on, the, on this earth for us to extend the love and the grace. Not to refuse them. But look what else this guy does. He goes, he goes, and look what he's done with your money. He's been squandering your money on prostitutes. Where does that come from? Jesus never said that. I mean, the kid goes off to a distant land. For all they know, maybe he's dead. They don't know where he's been spending his money. He does, he's not even talked to, the, to his younger brother. He doesn't even know what his younger brother's been doing. He hasn't even looked him in the eye yet. He hasn't even had the, the, you know, he's not even been man enough to walk up to him and extend his hand out and even shake his hand. He doesn't know what his younger brother's been doing. He takes his younger brother and in his dad's eyes, he tries to throw him underneath the bus, back the bus up, and run him over again. And say, look what he did with your money. He wasted it even on prostitutes. Maybe what he was really saying to his dad was, Wish I could go take your money and waste them on prostitutes. A lot of times that older brother heart really is more jealous for the actions of the person that got to run away and go live life the way they wanted to. And you resent the fact that you had to stay here in the confines of righteousness and holiness. I don't mean to step on your toes. I'm sorry. I don't really mean to get that deep into your business. But I'm telling you, that's what's alive inside of your heart and if that's there wake up today and realize that's not god 
You've, you've created a whole set of agenda of, of things that you've been justifying your actions by, and it's not godly. And you're only hurting yourself, and you're, you're hurting others. You're keeping them away from Christ. Because your heart is more like the Pharisee's heart. The Pharisee's heart? These people that Jesus was addressing, these guys, these guys, they were longing. I mean, they were praying for the day that sinners would be obliterated. If you weren't a Jew, and you weren't Jewish, and you didn't follow their set of rules, they longed for the day, and they let you know it, and they pointed their finger at you, and they said, I can't wait for Jesus, or, or, or for the Messiah to come. When the Messiah comes, when he, when he comes, man, he's going to obliterate you. He's going to wipe you off the face of the earth, and this is going to be the greatest day ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for you to be gone. That's the heart of the older brother. That's what Jesus was dealing with, was these guys who were out there. What happens with this Pharisee's heart, this older brother's heart? If you don't get it under check, it leads to exactly what it led to with the Pharisees. What did they end up doing? They ended up not recognizing Jesus, and they ended up killing him. That's the extreme of the older brother's heart. You can't even recognize it when God's at work in the heart of someone else, much less yourself, and you end up killing the very spirit of Christ that's trying to bring life to you as he's trying to bring life to others. You've got to recognize, you gotta recognize where God's at work. It reminds me of that show on the History Channel called Those Midwest Pickers. Midwest Pickers, you guys ever seen that before? You secretly, some of you want to be that. So every weekend you go garage sailing to become the Midwest Picker. And now you have a whole house full of stuff that you need to have your own garage sale on. Because it didn't turn out to be the treasure you once thought it was. These guys, they go to these old farmsteads and they go up to farmers and they go, can I go look for your barn? I want to, I want to see what's out there. I, I just want to see. Do you guys have, yeah, sure, man, I got this whole barn. It's full of old cars and old stuff. And they go out there and they start digging through spiders and snakes and ticks. That's the reason why I can't do it. They're digging through all this stuff and then they, all of a sudden they spot this rusty piece of metal and they go, oh, let's take that out of there. And they spot this and they spot that and they drag it out into the lawn and they get the farmer out there and they go, I'll give you 20 bucks and 10 bucks and that and that. And the farmer goes, okay. And after some negotiation, they walk away with these items that look like junk to me. They take them back to their shop and they restore them and they sell them for all kinds of cash. I mean, if I went out, I'd waste my money. Why? Because I, I couldn't identify the treasure in the midst of the junk. And one of the things that happens with the older brother's heart is that you can't identify the treasure in the midst of the junk. You can't get yourself past all the stuff that's on the outside of a person and all the actions they've taken to identify the treasure of what the Holy Spirit's doing in their heart, drawing people back to themselves. We want to be a prodigal-friendly church, then we're going to have to start seeing people more through God's eyes than your eyes, because your eyes are going to miss the treasure. So here's what the Father does, or what God's wanting to say to you and me, if we want to be more caring, thoughtful, and understanding to prodigals that are walking back in the door and you want to start seeing them through God's eyes, look at verse 32 of what the Father says to the older son. He says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Look at the first thing he says here. He says, we had to celebrate we didn't have a choice. There's no option here, son. This, this son of mine is home. We had to celebrate. Jesus reminds us earlier in this passage in verse 10, he says, when those things that are lost come home, even the angels in heaven celebrate. 
Who is in charge of who? The angels in charge of God or God in charge of the angels? God is the supreme authority. God's the king. I can only imagine it goes down something like this in the realms of heaven. God stands up on his throne and goes, let's celebrate! And all the angels go, or something like that. You can see God going, there's another lost one that came home. Another lost one came home and the angels celebrate. God says to his son, we had to celebrate. We didn't have an option. Look what else he tells his son about this caring, thoughtful, understanding heart. He goes, and not to mention, it's a happy day. Some of you guys think that God third degrees people and he puts them through the ringer, you know, before he extends grace. And what you need to know is that when God sees prodigals coming home, it's a happy day for him. Here's the last thing that God teaches us about this caring, thoughtful, and understanding heart. He says, hey, listen, your brother, he was dead, and he's come back to life. Basically saying to him, you know what I focus on? I focus on the life. I don't focus on the death. You and me, we have a tendency to focus more on the death of a person than the life of a person. We have a tendency to focus on all the messed up past that they have that we know about them, and we focus on that instead of focusing on the life that god's bringing at that very moment and the life that god wants to bring in the future where does god focus god wipes the past away he focuses on the current life and he focuses on the life that can come if you want to be more caring thoughtful and understanding that's that's where god wants us to live that's where he wants us to live so today it's really your option if we're going to become a prodigal friendly church then we have to wrestle with this attitude of this older brother that wants to rise up within us. And for some of you, for some of you, you're going to have to repent of that. You're going to have to just come to God and go, God, I'm sorry. God, the things I do, I I take so much pride in that, God, but I think it's blinded me. Forgive me for that. God, I haven't been caring and thoughtful and understanding. I I, I thought that I was, but I I haven't been. I've been more judgmental and I've been attacking and Man, you, you want to celebrate when lost are found. You, you want me to be happy. You, maybe some of you have some people in your lives that are prodigals and they're coming home. You've been more judgmental and critical. I'm telling you, that's destroying life in you. You're missing the Jesus and what the Jesus wants to do in you. And you're missing what Jesus wants to do in them. So today, today, I want you to stand with me and I want to pray. And then I'm going to give you a challenge. Father, we stand in this auditorium lord many times you're doing you're doing one thing and we're our intent is to do just the opposite you're wanting you're wanting to extend grace and we want to judge you want to forgive and we want to hold a trial lord you're you're ready to celebrate life and we're still stuck in the death that a person did 12 months ago lord you're wanting to give grace And you're wanting us to team up with you to extend that grace. Lord, you've met us out in the courtyard right now. And there's a party going on. You're trying to convince us. Come on in. Celebrate. Come in and know the heart of the Father. Watch me. Watch me how I I love the prodigal. Watch me how I I love those that are lost and they're coming home. You're going to discover something about my heart that's going to change you. But Lord, you're not going to force any of us back into the party. But you've come today and you've challenged us right where we're at. Because you, you love us enough not to leave us there. 
Thank you for showing that compassion to the older brother. Thank you for going out and meeting him right where he was at. And his sour attitude and, and his messed up and skewed views of who you are. And yet you, you boldly went and you addressed the issue with compassion in your heart and love in your heart. Lord, you've met us in this place. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're drawing us to yourself today as well. May you find obedient hearts that are willing to give you, give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God has met us here. What he's wanting to know is this. Do you want to be a part of the party or not? Do you want to be a part of what I'm doing, what God's doing, he's saying, or do you just want to keep doing what you're doing? Are you tired of just going through your religious routine, or do you want to be a part of what I'm, I'm doing? I, I, Jesus said, I've come to bring life, life to the fullest, life abundantly. Do you want to be a part of giving life? Do you want to stand out in the courtyard and sulk because you didn't get what you thought you should get? Because you don't have what you think you should have? God's going, would you come into the party? So today as we worship, I want to invite you to come in to the party. Come into the party of God's heart. Come in and link up with God and celebrate what God celebrates about. Come in and know God's ways instead of just your plans. There's going to be a few things we're going to do. It's going to be a little weird. Okay, it's just going to be a little awkward. But I'm going to ask you to do something physically that's a statement that represents your heart. And if you're physically able to do this, I'm going to challenge you to do it. These altars have always been for the hungry. These altars are for the hungry again today. The hungry that want to come into God's party. Go, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm going to lay down my stuff. And I, want to, I want to pick up your heart. I want to join the party. I don't want to be left out. I want to be a part of transformation and change in my life and the lives of others. And this whole altar area is going to be a place I just want to invite you to come and stand. If you come and you're the first ones here, just move right around the altar and stand right next to these steps because this place is going to be full because that's the heart that people have here. If you're in the balcony, I want to invite you to come down. Oh, the aisles, they'll be packed full of people. But it's about the heart of going, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing, not a part of what I'm doing. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I'm going to come into your party and I want to celebrate where the lost are being found, where those that have been dead are coming alive again. I want to be one that celebrates that. And if that's who you are, then you come down and you join us. And let's jump into God's party and experience the power and the presence of a transforming God. In Jesus' name, let's worship Him.